transfer window gets interesting. What next for Everton and it's Manchester City versus Arsenal in the FA Cup? I'm Dan Burke. This is the One Football Podcast, and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Alex Mott. Hello. How are we doing, lads? How's uh, how's the week been for you, Matt? You saw Harry Kane breaking, well, almost breaking a, a, a long-standing Tottenham record on Monday, didn't you? Yeah, that was that was an exciting bit on Monday night. The rest of it's just been hitting refresh on Pedro Porro news. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty much all my work has been. Just YouTube videos about him, highlights from sporting, just, yeah, absolutely everything. And then panicking that there would be some sort of um, hijack done on Spurs after we did it to Everton last week. And then I just... Yeah, then I'd be really sad. But I've been hitting refresh and it looks as though, without jinxing it, it's almost done. And is he the uh, the missing link for Spurs then? Uh, one of many missing links that's required. <laughs> uh, he's certainly more important than the Dan Juma signing, I think, in terms uh. of what Spurs need. Um, but yeah, he's his just everything. Just It's a clear upgrade and that is what Spurs desperately needed. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll come back to all that, all that jazz in a minute. How are you doing, Alex? How's life as an Oxford United fan treating you? Yeah, it's been a pretty typical week, really, in our season. We went from beating Ipswich, who was second in the league, which was a big win for us, to two days later losing at home to Wickham. So, yeah, that pretty much sums up this season, really. I've written it off as uh, <laughs> not going down, not going up. That's about as good as it can get. <laughs> Never a dull moment at the Kassam Stadium. Like big... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read it was a big derby, right, Wickham? Oxford. Well, it's... It's a sort of it's a bit like I don't know Chelsea Fulham is a derby. Do you know what I mean? There's not yeah. um, oh, okay. They're just near us. I don't. I like it's not a derby. Swindon's our big derby. Oh, okay, yeah. Look, those little Swindon slugs. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, let's crack on with uh, with all we've got to talk about today. And just before we do get into all that, just a reminder to everybody that uh, if you do want to get a question into us uh, that we can answer on the podcast, the email address to do is always podcast at onefootball.com. And uh, we've got one of those coming up right at the end of the show today. Uh, for now, we're going to talk about Harry Kane, Matt. Uh, I mentioned him earlier. He equaled uh, Jimmy Greaves' Tottenham scoring record um, with full- with Tottenham's 1-0 win at Fulham on Monday night. How many goals has he got now? 266 for the club. 266. So just one more and he'll, be- he'll become Tottenham's all-time leading yeah. goal scorer. Uh, he's one of your own. You must be very proud of what he's achieved. Um yeah, definitely. Like within the club, it's a very sort of proud moment for him more than me. I mean, I, he did it, not me. Um, so maybe if there's if there's such thing as secondhand pride, then yeah, I, I feel it for him. Um, it's weird. I still remember him sort of breaking through into the team. I remember that there was a, a goal that he scored. It wasn't his first. I was there for his first, but he scored a goal that pretty much turned the Pochettino era as a free kick away at Aston Villa. It was deflected in. Um, and I was driving on my way to work at the time as a barman. And I remember exactly, I remember the exact road that I was on, like precisely <laughs> where I was with the car, in the car with the radio going and, and hearing him score that. And I just think, wow, that was, you know, probably goal number 10 or something or number 20. And here we are at 266. So I know everyone talks about trophies and there's, you know, you've got to be the biggest team and winning all these big trophies uh, every season. Um, and there's a desire to reach the top. But I just think... On a personal level, it's something you very rarely witness. I was looking through some of the record goal scorers for other clubs, you know, some that have been standing for some of them 80 years or 100 mm. years or something mental. Um, so to witness that piece of history, something that is very unlikely to get broken again, I think in general, because players don't seem as loyal these days or to stick around as long, like it's absolutely crazy to, to, to kind of witness it happening in the moment. Um, so yeah, it's rather unique and I'm, I'm delighted for him. Yeah, might not have happened had he joined Manchester City a couple of years ago. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, we were we were talking the other day, Alex, about Kane and about his, uh, you know, these potential rumours of him leaving or the potential rumours of him of him staying at Spurs, signing a new contract. Do you think this this kind of thing, this legendary status at Spurs, would feed into his um, desire to stay at the club, perhaps instead of going and seeking pastures, even though it might be more lucrative and more, uh, you know, successful for him elsewhere? Yeah, I'd. I don't know about that. I actually think this getting this record when he eventually does score that extra goal actually might be one of the reasons why he thinks it might finally be time to leave. I know there was, there was that report the other day. It might have, I think it was probably in The Athletic about him uh, thinking about signing a new contract. But I wonder if that's just um, 
sort of a negotiating tactic to try and mm. get Bayern to hurry themselves up and make an offer. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that, yeah, just getting that record is clearly one of his like main goals since, you know, since he was sort of within touching distance. And I think getting it now might be what finally tips him over the edge and thinks, yeah, I've got, I'll always be a legend at the club. Very unlikely that anyone's going to get anywhere near that record anytime soon. So yeah, maybe getting that goal and um, yeah, get, getting above Jimmy Greaves is what, Finally, tips him over the edge to uh, yeah. want to leave in the summer. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you're you're desperately hoping he'll stay, Matt, and that one day he does lift a trophy in a Tottenham shirt. And it's not like he's like 34 or something. He's got a few years left. You know, it could happen. Um, you know, Tottenham's recent history would suggest it might not, but you never know. Like, you know, he, he could get his hands on on some uh, mm. significant piece of silverware. If he doesn't, if he did end his career without winning a trophy, would that be a massive tragedy, a massive waste of his talent, do you think? Because I think about Alan Shearer, and Alan Shearer, all right, he won the Premier League, but he was a very young man when he did that at Blackburn, and the bulk of his career was spent at Newcastle where you know he made club and Premier League history for them. And no one thinks that Alan Shearer wasted his career, really, do they? But only because he won that Premier League with Blackburn very early in his career. It's almost, I don't want to say relevant, but it's close to being irrelevant to what came afterwards. Yeah, I guess so, because it's one of these things where people debate it forever and it's very, it depends on the situation or which sort of parameters you're adding in to the conversation because people always mention Shearer and the reason they do it is for the goals. I don't hear anyone say, yeah, but Shearer was, you know, a beast in finals, like they say about Mm. Drogba or Shearer could do everything like they say about Thierry Henry, you know, the golden boots or whatever, Thierry Henry and, and the Premier Leagues and stuff. So it's very much, the, the goalposts change depending on which striker you're talking about. If you're talking about the greatest goal scorer of all time, it's Alan Shearer, because it's a numbers-wise. You can't dispute the, the stats, the facts. Premier League, of course. Um, and there's not really, there's not really a sort of definitive way to look at it. I think it's, it's something that will always be used as a stick to beat him with. Um, that he hasn't, you know, won a trophy. But then again, on the flip side, there are plenty of absolute trash players who have won a trophy. <laughs> so, look, to be honest, at the end of the day, I think if he's if he's happy with his career being a club legend or whatever, then you know, good for him. But re- records will always be broken, won't they? Won't they? Yeah, that's that's that's, true, yeah. that's the difference. Like Alan Shearer won't always be the top goal scorer in Premier League history, and then when it when that happens. Will people then still say that he's the greatest goal scorer in Premier League but, history? But, but we spoke about why Jimmy Greaves's record won't be broken because players aren't loyal to one club. I honestly couldn't think of a player in the last few years who I would put more money on to break the Premier League goal scoring record than Haaland, for example. I can't think of anyone who I'd be like, oh, bloody hell, yeah, 40, 40 goals a season, maybe 30 to 40. And even then... Dan's admitted it by himself. It's completely, um, I was going to say thinkable. That's not the right <laughs> word. Um, <laughs> it's completely rational. It's completely, <laughs> yeah, it's completely conceivable to think that Haaland could spend five years smashing the Premier League and then go to Real Madrid or go to Bayern Munich or, you know, go elsewhere. And even then he wouldn't get close to Shearer's 260 or who knows Kane's 280, 300. So, I mean, the record might not fall, but... I just think that there's, there's without sounding too existential, which I seem to do on the podcast quite a bit <laughs> these days. I, I'm, I'm not going through anything, I promise. If I was, I'd tell you. Um, it really doesn't matter that much to anyone or anything but to Kane. I mean, if you ask Francesco Totti whether he had the chance to move, he won one Scudetto, I think, and two Coppa Italia with Roma. Um, he spent his whole life there and is just the epitome of legend. When we talk about legends, especially in Italian football, like Totti's up there and... He could have won far more. Like, but he you know, did. But, Shearer, sorry, Matt. Yeah, but on. he did win trophies. They might not be as many as if he went to Real Madrid, <laughs> but he yeah. did still win a few trophies at the end of his yeah, career. Yeah, but, but what I mean is that that legacy behind him, obviously he's won trophies great, but that legend that he created for himself as a club icon is probably worth a lot to him. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. There's probably other players in that Roma side who won a Scudetto and two Italian Cups that, Roma fans might not even remember. Yeah, yeah. So, no, no, fair I, enough. It depends which way you look at it. Like, I just think it would mean something to Kane, but no one else. And it's no one else's career, it's his. So I guess it's just sort of the way it goes, really. You'll, you'll never not be able to get away from the fact that as of yet, he hasn't lifted anything. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, Alex, um, you might poo-poo this now after what you said earlier, but would that goals record almost be 
the equivalent of winning a trophy for Kane in terms of his legendary status. But as you said, you know, that record is there to be broken then, isn't it? But, yeah. you know, it's better. It's it's sort of more important than a solitary League Cup or something like that, wouldn't it? Like, you know, to, to his career. But looking True. Back. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But, but he's already scored an, an incredible amount of goals. I just... Obviously, it's a personal. It's down to him, isn't it? You know, it might be he's got. I know he's got a young family. He might be really happy in London. They've got a good school, blah blah. All that sort of stuff that you don't really think about when it comes to footballers. That he might just be very happy where he is, and that's absolutely fine. I just think a player of his quality, there's always going to be yeah, but at the end of you know whatever conversation you have about him, if he doesn't, if they, you know, if he doesn't win a trophy and a major trophy, and I do think. Mm. And then I guess on the other on the other end of that, you can just say if he went to Bayern Munich, does the Bundesliga count? Because Bayern win it every year, and it's <laughs> a bit of a nothing trophy, really. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a difficult one. I just I would like to see him go abroad and win a trophy, and I think that would help his his game. I think it would help him for England. I think it would just be a net positive generally if he if he left. Imagine right. This is obviously me being fanciful, and it's just absolute nonsense. Imagine if Spurs went. All right, then just go on loan to Bayern for six months. <laughs> yeah. He goes on loan to Bayern, right? He wins the Bundesliga and the DFB Pokal and then comes back and says, But that, but do you know what? Now that, you you say that player. as if it's silly, but actually, what behind the scenes, Bayern could say to him, Look, come to us for two, three years. He's obviously getting on a bit. There could be a sort of secret buyback clause to Tottenham where it's like, you know, not not a huge amount of money. Those things happen, don't they? It might not be as, yeah. you know, those things do happen in football. So, I don't know. I don't think that's maybe not a six-month loan uh, spell, but think, it could be like a two-year yeah. deal, three-year deal where they just say, look, come here. We, we will accept an offer from Tottenham in three years' time, no matter what it is. And then he can come back and potentially break a goal-scoring record again if he wants to. I think there's also, a, there's a lot of hatred towards players, loyal players and yeah, players who don't want to move. Because funnily enough, I see all this waffle from fellow fans of the top six. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I say, oh, funny that. Funny that rivals <laughs> want Spurs' best player to leave. <laughs> it will blow me down. So, yeah. So I what was a it? few years ago, I remember everyone, every, sorry, everyone was saying, yeah, Kane's got to go to City. He has to go and win trophies. And I was thinking, you're a Chelsea fan. This will be even worse for you if Kane goes to City because they'll be even further away from you. You should want the opposite. Rival top six fans should want Kane to stay at Tottenham so the other top six teams don't get any better. So that also makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so what we're suggesting is, uh, is Harry Kane and Tottenham should enter an, an open relationship with Bayern Munich then and that will, uh, that will solve all the problems. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's saved many marriages. So yeah, why not? I suppose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also ruined many, many marriages, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. yeah that's a, uh, true, true. That's a topic for a very different podcast, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and a topic for this podcast now is the Carabao Cup because we saw the uh, first legs of the semi-finals uh, this week. Newcastle winning uh, 1-0 against Southampton in their final, Manchester United. I think not just putting one foot in the, in the uh, final, but two whole legs in the final with uh, their 3-0 uh, victory over Nottingham Forest. Uh, Nick Pope, I was surprised to learn, uh, shows how much attention I've been paying, has now kept 10 consecutive clean sheets for Newcastle. I mean, they've made some good signings so far, Matt, and that wasn't one that sort of, uh, you know, was, was earth-shattering when they signed Nick Pope from Burnley in the summer, but I think he's quietly been one of their, their best signings so far, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I I would just like to say I definitely have been paying attention because he's in my fancy league. <laughs> so every clean sheet, I'm sitting there going, "Yep, fancies get me get me points." Um, it was a little bit of an odd one. I think it came after there was a lot of hype about Newcastle spending right this time a year ago, and they went for their marquee signing of Chris Wood. Now he hardly tore up any trees coming from Burnley, and I'm not throwing them in the same boat, but I think the same was thought of as um, when they signed Pope in the summer, it was like, right, we've seen them go to Burnley, bring in one of their best players and six months has passed. He hasn't done much. So is this their level? Is this their level of buying players from, uh, you know, the bottom of the league or did they go down as 20th Burnley, maybe 19th? Um, It didn't really seem like it was going to be a star signing as Gimaraish was, uh, or uh, I think they had Joe Willock on loan. It might've been uh, last January. It just, it seemed like one of those that would be a footnote ahead of a busy summer, but actually it sort of turned out to be a really, really good one. But I would say 
it's not all Nick Pope. I think he's been brilliant, by the way. You know, he's, he's made some great saves. But I think the improvement in Newcastle's defences as a whole has definitely helped them. I mean, saying that, you know, they've added Botman and Trippier since last January as well to the side. So, yeah, it's not... Uh, again, I think he's done brilliant well. Ten clean sheets. But it was the same thing I remember was said about Edwin van der Sar when he, he had the record for most clean sheets in a row in the Premier League at United. This is like 15 years ago. Um, and I think Petr Cech did as well. And everyone was like, yeah, but they've got the best defence in the country ahead of them. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, statistically, Newcastle do have the best defence in the league and they've got a brilliant back four. So it's he's definitely done well, but it's a team effort overall, boosted by Botman especially, who I think is a... Who I think, unfortunately, Newcastle fans is destined for, for greater things and bigger clubs, to be honest. Yeah. It's like uh, Edison at City... It- Usually, often wins the Golden Glove and makes about three saves all season because uh, <laughs> he just does, yeah. he just doesn't really like yeah the, the defense usually keep, keeps uh, keeps the, the chances from coming coming through to him. Yeah. But I, I have to say, I've always been a fan of Nick Pope. I think he's a, a very good goalkeeper, and he looks like he could chip your PlayStation. I reckon so. He's uh, you know he's got everything going for him. So. <laughs> many many strings to his bow. Uh, another yeah. man who was in great form is uh, Marcus Rashford, who scored a great goal for, for Man United against Nottingham Forest, Alex, uh, making it 10 games in a row that he's scored in now. Um, he's been on fire since coming back from the World Cup in particular. Is this just a kind of purple patch for him, a bit, a bit of a spike on the graph, or is this him reaching the potential that he kind of always had when he started and the, and the past few years have just been a bit of a uh, a blip for him, maybe? Yeah, I think it's the latter one, really. I think that he's just reaching the potential that he always did have. I'm not not entirely sure why he hit that bit of bad form, bit of, I don't know, I honestly couldn't tell you, maybe a bit of Cristiano Ronaldo coming into Man United didn't help mm. and sort of being pushed out the team a little bit, Think wasn't getting con- consistent games. But yeah, I, I'm, I wrote a piece uh, during the game on Sunday, the Arsenal game, and just sort of asking whether he's the best player in Europe at the moment. I think he's scored since the World Cup. He's scored the most goals of any of any one player in the Europe's top five leagues, um, and he just looks just so full of confidence. You know, when he when he first burst onto the scene was that twenty seventeen, possibly twenty eighteen. When 16. he was it sixteen? Blimey! Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, he just he looked like he was going to score every time he touched the ball, didn't he? In, the, in those first few mm. months, and I just and he just looks the same now. He just looks so full of confidence. But added to that, he sort of added a bit of physicality to his, to his game. He looks bigger, he looks stronger, he looks a lot fitter. I think a lot of that is down to Ten Hag. I think having a proper coach <laughs> helps. And I think there's just, there's, he is, Rashford is sort of indicative of the change in culture that Ten Hag's made at Man United. They just, he just looks like a proper coach who's get, getting the best out of his players. Luke Shaw is the same, looks a lot fitter and just, and is reaping the rewards. Um, yeah, I just yeah, Rashford looks looks brilliant at the moment, really does, and yeah, long may it continue. Really, yeah, I think he's a he seems like a nice lad as well. <laughs> he does, yeah, he does seem like a nice lad. To be fair to him, and uh, yeah, <laughs> all those people who said f- stick to stick to football, stop go, uh, stop focusing on politics. Yeah, well, yeah, like a bit silly now as well, don't they? Yeah, so that's always always nice to see. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nottingham Forest, they, they were well beaten here, but. Um, They've, they've put a decent run of results together. I think it's four games unbeaten in the Premier League, uh, Matt. Uh, Steve Cooper nominated for Manager of the Month today. Um, they've quietly crept up the table as well. They're up to 13th in the Premier League now. Would you sort of expect them to survive relegation the way things are going? Do you think Cooper's turned the ship around after a, a, a difficult start to the season with all those players to bed in? Um, I wouldn't say I expect them to be safe, to be honest. I would expect more of a comeback um, I think from the likes of Wolves and West Ham and okay, maybe not Everton. Um, I still think they'll be in a relegation battle towards the end of the season. But yeah, you're right. It is, it is pretty impressive. Oh, knocking my mic around. Um, <laughs> it's pretty impressive what he's done considering how many players they've bought in. And it, it looks to me every time they have a lineup, I think they could pull someone out here off the bench that I've never heard of or I didn't even know that they signed. <laughs> like it really, it really is amazing for a, for a manager to see such overhaul and to kind of, yeah, keep it together. Um, I think the rest of the season for them is maybe about picking their moments. It might sound a bit um, sort of defeatist to accept, you know, that they're going to lose some games and they obviously want to compete in every match. But I think... There's probably games where they think, right, this is where we can really go for it. This is home. You know, this is a six-pointer. This is a table team that's got nothing to play for. Um, Rather than going for the, uh, let's say, kind of 
bigger games where they try and make a statement and then they try and get something away at City or away at Arsenal and something like that. They probably have to pick their moments because they need to pick up points. But certainly the football they've been playing is, is really good. And I've been impressed with Gibbs White too. Mm. I, th- I really thought, as many others did, like how much was it they spent on him? Was it 40 million? Might In that region, I think. Five, yeah. possibly. But yeah, it was yeah. a lot, yeah. Oh, God, for a guy who wasn't the standout player at Wolves, I was... Uh, um, when he came through, I was like, this is absolute mad. <laughs> I know he had a good season. Was it on loan at Sheffield United? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really, I was absolutely flummoxed is a good word uh, by the amount that they've, the amount that they spent on him. But yeah, he actually looks quite good recently as well. So, so props to them or props to Steve Cooper. Cause it can't be easy. I, I looked earlier um, since Cooper signed his new contract on, I think it was October the 5th or something. Start of October anyway, not uh, Forrester 11th in the table. I know it's a, <laughs> it's a full season that you've got to count it on, but I yeah, think that just bad. shows that, you know, they they were right to just show faith in him because it was a terrible start they had, wasn't it? They, mm. How many did they lose in their opening, like six games? What was it, five out of six possibly? Um, so, yeah, to to show faith in him was a, yeah, was, wasn't was necessarily the, like, best or the thing that they thought they should do, but they did, and, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, has been vindicated now because yeah, he's yeah, yeah they've it looks really good. I, I can definitely see them staying up. Yeah, they they look too good. I think is uh, is Chris Wood going to be a good signing for them? Do you think Alex didn't really work out for him at Newcastle in the the year he was there? He's gone to Forest yeah, I think all, uh, getting back on track. Yeah, um, yeah, difficult one that I'd I thought he actually looked okay at times for Newcastle. I'd, you know, he's obviously. A different type of striker to what to what they did have before, maybe with Isaac coming in, his sort of a big man with a good touch wasn't quite, wasn't needed um, with Chris Wood, but yeah, I think he's a he's a pretty respectable Premier League striker. I'm not sure he's going to start every game for Forest and be the like fulcrum of their attack for the rest of the season, but I can see him chipping in with six seven goals for the end of the season that keeps him up. So yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good signing for them. Yeah, good luck to him. Let's uh, let's talk about Everton now, a club that uh, has a special place in all of our hearts, I think. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the, there's a club where there's never a dull moment, I think, I think it's safe to say. Uh, they sacked Frank Lampard on Monday in perhaps the least predictable, uh, the most predictable news of the of the week. Um, the world knew about Lampard being sacked about four hours before Everton actually confirmed it um, <laughs> on their own on their own website and channels. But uh, yeah. Frank has, uh, has gone off into the sunset. They're now uh, in the market for a new manager, Mark. In recent days, they've been linked with both Marcelo Bielsa and Sam Allardyce. What do you think that says about them as a club? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the answer is that they have no idea what they're doing <laughs> or who they're going for because I couldn't think of two two more opposite managers in my life. So I, I don't know. Is there maybe a, a, a sense of if... If the worst happens, they go down with Bielsa and he's got track record of brilliant football in the championship and getting leads up. Is there that thought behind it? Or is there the thought of we just cannot afford to go down um, from a financial perspective with the new stadium so Big Sam can can try to keep us up? Because I can't, I don't know. It just It just seems like they haven't got a clue at all. <laughs> yeah, they don't know what they well, want. Yeah, do they, Jamie... Do they? Ca- Jamie yeah. Carragher called them the worst-run club in the country on Monday Night Football <laughs> this week, <laughs> which I'm not sure I'd agree with to- totally. But yeah, they're they're a bit of a basket case at the moment. I think yeah, like you said, they're done it. Being linked with Bielsa and Dice and Allardyce in the sort of the, over the past few days sort of says that they don't really know what they want. And like and Matt, what you said there, do they, do they, are they thinking if they go down, they've got a manager in Bielsa that could do well in the championship? I mean. It wasn't so long ago that Everton were finishing seventh every season without fail. <laughs> yeah, they've just, I can't think of many other clubs that have spent as badly as them, probably in all of Europe, to be honest, because they've just spaffed 400 million up the wall with very, very little to show for it. Um, I, I mean, Bielsa Everton would just be amazing and I'd love to see it, but I don't, I don't know if that's really realistically going to happen. I think if you look at every club that Bielsa's gone into, it's, he's come in. In the summer, he wants a whole preseason to get you know get his players up and running in, in the way that he wants. So I don't know if he'd be able to do that. Um, yeah, do that now, obviously. But yeah, I think I don't know that they've sort of tried every option, haven't they? They've you know they went with 
Benitez, they went with Frank Lampard, they've gone with Ancelotti in over the past few years. They've tried every sort <laughs> what of a, What a list, that works. manager list of theirs. It's just <laughs> yeah. incredible, isn't it? <laughs> and that just that just tells you that there's something systematically wrong. So, yeah, I think, and because of that, what self-respected manager is going to want to come in and take over the job? Because it's going to be impossible to to do. So, yeah, it's a tough one for them. Personally, I think Haas and Hootel is probably the best manager that they mm. could attract at the moment that would want the job and would be a good fit. Again, whether he thinks it's the right sort of job for him after Southampton remains to be seen. But yeah, they're they're in big trouble, aren't they? Big, big trouble. <laughs> yeah. Is is Big Sam a self respecting manager? Probably, respe- <laughs> probably respects himself a bit too much, if anything, doesn't he? <laughs> well, yeah. And also obviously they've had him and when whenever that was, five years ago. So I don't know yeah. whether they'll go back for Allardyce. I did see that he's the favourite for the Cardiff job, which I think is probably a bit more uh, where he's aiming for now. So um yeah, I don't think don't think Big Sam's the man, Everton fans. <laughs> and uh, well, they've missed out on the chance to hire Duncan Ferguson as the again because he's just been appointed yes. the new manager of Forest Green Rovers, <laughs> which is uh, a sentence I never thought I'd say. A uh, carbon neutral, <laughs> fully vegan football club. Have they made Big yeah. Dunk go vegan? Do you reckon, Matt? Uh, I don't even know. I don't know what his eating habits are like. <laughs> well, you have to eat vegan is... food at. They only serve vegan food at the club. Yeah. So well, yeah. So maybe he just for me, it's probably stereotyping a lot, but it just seems like one of these old hard blokes who doesn't want any of that vegan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Big Dunk hunts his own food in the maybe, woods. Maybe and I'm he doing ba- <laughs> Tears it apart with his bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> the picture, by the way, I've got to say. The picture that they released is it? Is it the chairman? Yeah, Dale the Vince owner? is the owner. Yeah, it yeah, just there were so many replies to it on Twitter. It just looked so uncomfortable. Just them two shaking hands. It's real, real Michael Scott vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Dale Vince was like a new age traveller, wasn't he, or something like that? A few years ago, like he was, yeah, like some pro- proper like, yeah, no matter what. Does that even hippie. mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, now he's got Duncan Ferguson working alongside him. Should be very interesting for sure. Uh, let's talk some transfers now because you uh, you mentioned his name earlier, Mark Arnout Danjuma. Uh, he has uh, he has joined Tottenham after it looking like he was uh, like he was joining Everton. He's gone loan to Spurs for the rest of the season from Villarreal. Are you happy about that signing? What do you think he will bring to Spurs that Spurs don't already have? Um, he's, he's got that sort of game changing ability that Lucas Moura often. Ha- Lucas more possessed, but didn't often use. I should say, um, there were there were definitely times when Spurs were sort of running into a bit of a low block or running out of ideas, where Mora's knack of just getting the ball first or his his pace and explosiveness would cause all sorts of problems and a bit of madness, you know, for a few seconds at the end of a game. And I think Danjuma's probably in that same boat. He's got brilliant footwork really good dribbling ability in tight areas and I think it's that kind of almost maverick style of play that Spurs are missing Spurs have been a little bit too predictable this season I think it's down to Conte not really having a plan b but there just needs to be a little bit of excitement and a little bit of unpredictability in the attack and with Son's poor form um, it seems like it could be a good signing in that respect but overall for the bigger picture I think Spurs have far other more important business to do than signing, you know, a, a backup winger. My, mm. if I was a Tottenham fan, my worry would be that Conte is going to try and turn him into a wing back, <laughs> and I think that probably <laughs> yeah, needs, true. Uh, yeah, well. says everything about, yeah, like yeah. you said there, Matt, his lack of Plan B. So, yeah, I'd, like yeah, you said, I think I'm excited. But yeah, he's a, he's he's an all right player, but yeah. the fact that he was going to Everton probably tells you where his level is. I think, yeah. <laughs> Any, any guilt at all, Matt, about snatching him away from Everton in such cruel fashion? It's like, <laughs> these boys are starving to death, mate, and you're stealing their um, last crumb of food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there isn't really a history or rivalry or anything between Spurs and Everton, really. There so is it's now. Not really, it's not like, yeah, well, it's not like Chelsea stealing Mudrick or Chelsea doing that to Spurs when we had Willian or, mm. you know, even Liverpool, I guess, took Luis Diaz. But for me, it doesn't really feel... Oh, this is that this is really playing into your analogy about stealing a poor child's food, but they're so far away from us that it's kind of a bit obvious. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's got, if you presented the offer on the table to Dad Juma, he's like hmm, potential relegation 
or Champions League and a top four fight for the next six months. Like yeah. it's, it's not even a debate. It's not like he's chosen between two top teams. So I feel sorry for Everton, to be honest. But yeah, it's just doesn't really there isn't a direct rivalry between the two. Yeah, that's football. And Everton might be losing one of their players as well to uh, Newcastle. Anthony Gordon, very interested in, in uh, sorry, Newcastle, very interested in Anthony Gordon by all accounts. Um, would that be a good signing for Newcastle, Alex? I mean, he looked good last season. Uh, Chelsea were in for him in the summer. There was talk of 55 million at the time and uh, never never came to pass that one. He's not done an awful lot this season. Is, is, the, is there a good player in there that Newcastle are going to be- benefit from? Uh, I think there is obviously a good player. I mean, that's an absolutely crazy amount of money. I'd be interested to see how much Newcastle will pay for him if they do get him. I, I saw today, actually, he's just he's not gone to training today to try and force a move. So mm. I'm guessing that might get done pretty quickly. But I, I don't know. He's he's fine. Like, he's good. He's not... I mean, I guess he's been in a bad Everton team, but he's not really showed it consistently for me that he's good. that sort of level player. Um. And especially if the rumours are to believe that Alan San Maximan is going to go, mm. I don't see him as like a replacement for him. I think San Maximan is much better than Gordon. So, yeah, interesting one. Yeah, may- maybe he'll improve in a better team. But yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, if it's a crazy amount of money, I'm not sure I'd, I'd go for him. Yeah, the the talk was that Newcastle sort of approached Everton about him earlier in the window, and uh, the, the valuations of the two clubs were ve- were very different. I don't know if uh, if that's going to change or or whether Newcastle are going to be forced to cough up. And yeah, that, that's a, that's an interesting one with um, with Sam Maximan being linked with AC Milan. Apparently, his entourage—that's a very transfer rumor word, isn't it? Have, uh, have offered him to. <laughs> Uh, AC Milan. Um, what what's happened to him at Newcastle? Do you think there, Matt? Because you know, I watched him play for Newcastle against City in the three three draw early in the season. He was absolutely fantastic. He had Kyle Walker on toast that day, and I thought this guy is going to be the sort of poster boy of of Newcastle's revolution. And it just uh, seems like he's almost become surplus to requirements there in a strange way. Yeah, it's a little bit of an odd one. I feel like maybe injuries have played their part, um, but also I just think that the way that Newcastle have gotten to such good form and such consistency, they don't really want to break it up. Um, and it just seems to me like he just, just doesn't really fit their plan. I mean, it's it's obvious that a few teams like AC Milan, I, thought, I saw Roma linked as well. There's a, There seems to be a bit of a winger merry-go-round at the minute, whether it's Dan Juma leaving or what that means for Zaniolo and then what that means for Hakim Ziyech. And then you've got some Max Man thrown into the mix as well. Um, maybe they're just making room for Gordon as they see him as a better a better fit. Maybe he's more long-term than Sir Maxman. He's only mm. 25, so it's not like he's old. Um, I don't know. Maybe they just sort of prefer the the style that, that Anthony Gordon brings or how he fits into the team. But I think with the signings they've made recently, the way Eddie Howe's got the team playing, I, I'd be hesitant to be like, what are you doing, Newcastle? To sort of question <laughs> their transfer strategy and their policy. Because at the minute, it's worked pretty well. And I think that... Gordon would be a lot of money. I don't think I've seen enough at Everton to suggest that he'd be worth whatever they're going to pay if it's anything over 20 million, which I assume it is. Um, but yeah, maybe it could be one of those under the radar ones that Newcastle aren't going to go out and try and sign, you know, I don't know Mbappe or Osman Dembele or someone like we all <laughs> think they would with their, their endless riches. So yeah, maybe this one does make a little bit more sense in a sort of low key kind of way. As for Alan Samaxman, who knows? Maybe it's just not really a not really a fit, despite the fact, like you said, every time I've watched him in the last few years, he's been he's been electric. Yeah, maybe a bit too much of a maverick. Maybe a player who kind of shined in that that uh, dismal era for them under Steve Bruce, where they've they've sort of moved past him yeah. already. Reminds, I mean, it, it's you can make endless comparisons between Newcastle and sort of Man City when they were taking over. Maybe he's, he's Newcastle's Alano, and uh, they, they had the fun <laughs> with him in the bad old days, and now it's time to time to move on. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and wish him farewell. Uh, a couple of interesting transfer rumours involving Premier League clubs that have been knocking around this week. So Aston Villa apparently made a, a club record uh, bid for Nico Williams from Athletic Club uh, that was turned down. It doesn't look like that one is going to be revived. And today we're hearing that uh, Bournemouth are in for Roma's Nicolo Zaniolo. I mean, it's d- does that say the co- tell you about the kind of pulling power of the Premier League that those... Uh, mid-table, lower mid-table clubs can be in for these kind of players, Alex. And can you kind of understand why um, the, the, the people in charge of La Liga and Serie A are thinking that the Premier League is becoming a little bit too powerful, maybe? Yeah, you've just said it all there, Dan, really. Yeah, the fact that Bournemouth can, yeah, gazump 
uh, it was it was uh, Atletico Madrid. I saw it uh, linked to Zaniolo. The fact that Bournemouth can offer more money and just yeah, thirty million for Zaniolo is one of the most exciting young players in in Europe. Is just yeah, insane. Really, it's yeah, and says <laughs> says everything about the Premier League. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's mad. Yeah. Zaniolo's been linked with Spurs quite a lot, Matt. Were you uh, were you interested in that transfer, or is he a bit too injury prone, a bit too flaky? Yeah, that's the problem. I thought he was he was very exciting. I remember when he came through at Roma, um, there had been a swap deal, and then he just turned out to be absolutely incredible. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and when I heard the links, I was like, oh my god, amazing! And then yeah, I thought about it. it does seem quite injury prone. Um, plays in a similar position to Kulusevski, who I don't think he's better than. And mm. again, like I said with Anjuma, it kind of fills a gap that doesn't really need filling at Spurs. Um, honestly, I just like to sign him for the vibes because he seems like a cool <laughs> bloke and everyone needs a handsome <laughs> Italian in their team every now and then. Um, so yeah, I would like Spurs to sign him. But if he does go to Bournemouth, that is the maddest thing. I spoke to our Italian news desk earlier um, to get their thoughts and they said when Bournemouth can off put more on the table than AC Milan can, you know it's a joke. And yeah, they've, they are exactly right with what's <laughs> going on. I, I still can't see it happening though. I wonder if he knows that Bournemouth have a capacity of 11,000. <laughs> He's probably heard all about the beach down at Bournemouth and is like, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then he'll see what the beach of Bournemouth actually looks like and uh, realise he's made the worst mistake <laughs> yeah. in his life. <laughs> yeah. I wish he'd signed for Brighton. <laughs> Yeah. Let's uh, let's look ahead to the weekend now. We've got the FA Cup fourth round coming our way this weekend, uh, kicking off on Friday night with a big clash at the Etihad between Manchester City and Arsenal. Uh, what are your thoughts on this game, Alex? Do you see this being a chance for, you know, obviously neither side has met in the Premier League in the season. It's looking like it's going to be those two that are going head to head for the title. Is this a chance for both teams to land a psychological edge on the other or does it not really sort of mean much in the grand scheme of things? No, I think I think it does. It's going to be an interesting one. I'm, it's going to be fascinating to see what sort of teams they both put out. I think if Arsenal, say Arsenal do play their first strength 11, Man City play a bit of a sort of second string 11 and then beat them comfortably. How does that then affect things later on in the title race? I don't know. It's mm. going to be a really, really interesting game. And yeah, I think, yeah, certainly the standout fixture in uh, in the fourth round, that's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah. and I think it will have further, yeah, Will will impact what get, goes on in the rest of the season. So, yeah, it'll be one I'll have a, a keen eye on. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I wouldn't fancy Man City's first string to beat Arsenal's first string at this moment. Or even <laughs> Arsenal's second string that matters. Yeah. So, uh, but Man City's second string, if they were to win, then that would that really would change things. How, how do you think? Um, how do you think Arsenal in particular should approach this one, Matt? Because um, you know, for them, maybe it's it's not such a big deal in in this season. I would say, and like. I think both teams, if they lose this game, can sort of say, well, never mind, we'll focus on the league now. Do you think Arsenal would, in particular will be sort of thinking that way heading into it? Or do they want to keep the momentum going? Mm. Keep the good times going? Yeah, they'll want to keep the momentum going. And I think in a in an all-too-obvious answer, the idea of having a few more days off and not, you know, when the schedule gets a bit hot and heavy towards the end of the season... Um, is actually something that maybe both teams could point at and, and say that's really of benefit to them. I think Arsenal have won the FA Cup plenty of times, or plenty of times in the last decade. Arteta's even won it at Arsenal. And the league is such a, a such a massive draw for him that I think that benefits them. With Manchester City, you know, I'm sure Pep Guardiola loved to win the league, but he's won it four out of the last five. And the Champions League is the outstanding one. So having one less competition to worry about on the fixture list probably probably is something that both managers would accept but obviously they're also both hyper competitive and they know that a victory is a victory so I can't mm. I can't see them throwing the game <laughs> I just can see them not being absolutely gutted if, if they get knocked out yeah something I've been wrestling with a little bit as a as a City fan in recent weeks Alex is uh is the fact that City let Zinchenko and, and Jesus join Arsenal this summer and at the time it was a, a bit like they were both great players for City big fan favorites um but it was a bit like 
the, the time has come for them to move on now. And that's a that's a, a move for them where they're not really going to be a threat to City if they go there. I don't think it's not a direct competitor. And as it's turned out, they are very much a direct competitor. Was that a mistake from City to let them join Arsenal, do you think? Or was it just kind of one of those things that can happen sometimes? Oh, no, 100% a mistake. And I think I thought it was really interesting today, actually, in the pre-match press conference. Guardiola went out of his way to praise them, didn't he? And, and really praise mm. Arteta as well. So... I think he knows deep down that, yeah, it was a big mistake. But then, like you just said, who had... I, I, I was thinking back to my predictions earlier on and I before the start of the season, it was probably Tottenham that I thought could be the ones that would challenge mm. Man City and Liverpool to the title. Didn't I don't even know if I had Arsenal in my top four, to be honest. So, yeah, I'm sure Guardiola probably secretly thought the same and that's why he was so so willing to let those two players go but yeah it's been a huge mistake because they've Zinchenko especially recently since Gabriel Jesus has been injured it's probably been and along with Odegaard and Xhaka probably been one of Arsenal's best players he's been been exceptional so yeah it was a yeah big yeah. big 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 mistake from, from yeah I, mean, I think in fairness both players wanted to leave and, and City got good fees for both of them but I think when that happens next time, they will definitely think twice about selling to another Premier League team, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got another all-Premier League tie coming from the Amex in the FA Cup. Uh, Brighton taking on Liverpool. Uh, Brighton wiped the floor with Liverpool a few weeks ago, I think it's fair to say, in this fixture, winning 3-0 in the Premier League. Um, is Lightning going to strike in the same place twice for Liverpool, or do you think they'll have, uh, they'll have learned lessons from that defeat, Matt, and will be eager to put things right this weekend? For some reason, I can't think of a team more nailed on to beat Liverpool than Brighton. Oh. Just in my head, I just I just have Brighton down as having Liverpool's number. I mean, they've put six goals past them this season, I believe, in both games. Yeah, it's the three, 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 wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've they've scored six past Liverpool, which you know, in, in years gone in years gone by, seemed uh, unthinkable. I don't think. I wonder how many how long it's been since Spurs put six past Liverpool. It's probably been the last sort of nine years combined. Um, you know, it, it really just seems like Brighton have their number. They really know how to attack Liverpool, and whatever they do in Deserby does, their game is completely suited to dismantling Klopp. Um, having said that, it could sort of go in the other direction. I don't know. They get an early goal, and it's sort of a bit of a dead rubber. As I think Brighton have these weird. For everything they do good, they have these odd games every so often where they just fall completely flat. Um, and with so much hype and expectation around this game of Brighton repeating the trick, it could be one of those. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really... The, the cup competitions we know always represent a good opportunity for some of the, the lesser teams in the division, certainly not the title challenges to win something. So I can imagine Brighton really going for this. Um, and I'm, I'm not really sure... I don't know what, what you think, Alex, um, Klopp is going to make of it. Is the cup a good chance to get form back for the league or is it an unwanted distraction? No, I think, yeah, definitely they'll go for the cup this year. I think there's no chance that obviously that they're going to win the league. So I think, yeah, the cups definitely uh, can be a bit of a feel-good factor around the club again. And yeah, they, I, I think they'll go for it this year big time. Even if they miss top four? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, good point. I don't know. I'd <laughs> Yeah, I think they will. I think they will. Yeah, I think Klopp will want, want the trophy. I think that I do think they'll go for it this year. Yeah, is, is a good cup run in Brighton's wheelhouse this season? Do you think, Alex? Given that they're pushing top six and uh, looking in really good form, is that going to be a big goal for them to go far in the FA? Yeah, cup? it's without uh, going into stereotype. I, I wonder with an Italian manager, the cups obviously very different in Serie A and how the how teams treat it. I wonder if. Zerbi will just think that this, as I know, is a bit of a distraction and they can they have a real chance of finishing in the European places this year. But then again, if you win the FA Cup, you get a European place. So maybe, maybe that's part of his yeah. thinking as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, I wonder after the results this season between these two already, I do, I do wonder how that's going to play out this weekend. It's going to, again, it's going to be another, another interesting tie to look out for, definitely. Yeah. Uh, another interesting title to look out for is Wrexham versus Sheffield United at the racecourse ground. After they dumped Coventry City out in the last round, they've been drawn against Championship opposition again. Uh, informed Championship opposition as well. Sheffield United second in the league, pushing for promotion back to the Premier League. Do you think this is going to be another giant killing opportunity for Wrexham though, Matt? Uh, it just seems like without, again, just sort of pointing to their owners, like a bit of a Hollywood fairy tale, right? <laughs> it's just like... 
that's what they're going to do. They're going to go far in the cup and it's going to be amazing and it'll make a great another series of, of a Wrexham show and just everything about it is so Hollywood script-like. I definitely can see it happening. Uh, if you're talking about footballing ability, then yeah, of course, Sheffield United are way further ahead than where Wrexham are. Um, and, and like you said, trying to get back into the Premier League. I think it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for sure. And I... I, I I think most of me says that Sheffield United will win, um, but you can't you can't ignore a good fairy tale, a good storyline out of Hollywood. So this yeah, why not? this is a really interesting test actually of where Wrexham are because that even in the National League, Wrexham do concede a lot of goals, and they they've been winning a lot recently, a lot of games like three two, four three. You know they've been scoring late goals, and they really don't make things easy for themselves. So I think. They're coming up against a really good Sheffield United team. I can't. I think Sheffield United last lost and like the start of December. They've been on a really really good run recently, second in the championship. So yeah, this is going to be. Yeah, again, this it's a round full of great games. This one on Sunday <laughs> afternoon is going to be, yeah, a really interesting one to see actually where Wrexham are and where they can aspire to be. Because if they beat Sheffield United, which they could do, especially at the wreck, that that ground is really is a fortress for them it's it's the atmosphere is amazing and it's a really tight little ground it's the you know the dressing rooms aren't the best so yeah it can be it's going to be a really really fascinating game yeah any concerns about spurs going to deepdale and getting knocked out by preston matt uh i have to say yes don't i because if i say <laughs> no then they do I like fool. um no, in all honesty, no. There, there shouldn't be too many concerns. I know Spurs have been playing amazing recently. Um, I think for lack of options, to be honest, it probably means there'll be a strong team out from Spurs. Um, and yeah, what is it, like a week's rest after that before the Manchester City game, before, before we're back to Premier League action. So... I don't see any reason why Spurs wouldn't play a strong team, and if they do, I can't. Yeah, you know, I can't imagine them losing to Preston. But I've, yeah, we, we've seen shocks happen before for Spurs. Um, I feel like the last time Spurs were there, Peter Crouch might have scored a hat trick. Oh, Preston are compl- Preston are incredibly boring. So I think if you're going to miss one game this weekend, <laughs> this is yeah, this is definitely one. <laughs> they've, I think they've, I think they've scored like 24 goals in 30 games so far. They just yeah, they're not a good yeah. team to watch. And they've conceded about well, the same amount as well. So, yeah, it, this isn't going to be a thriller. In that case, it's got a nil-nil replay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but I, I mean, the the only vaguely exciting thing is if, if you know, like we mentioned, if Kane scores and breaks the record, oh, then yeah, of course. it's, you know, it's a good day for Spurs and against a team with their own legendary striker um, in, in Sir Tom Finney. Um, so, yeah, I mean... That's probably the only thing that could make it exciting. I guess. <laughs> How many trophies did Sir Tom Finney win? I'm going to Google it now. <laughs> Definitely Tom won Finney. the league. How many goals did he score? He scored <laughs> quite a few for Preston. Um, here, Football Honours, the first division. Two runner-ups. Well, Kane's oh, got okay. one runners-up. Second division winners and runners-up in the FA Cup. Um, that is it. So That's absolutely it. nothing. <laughs> So Tom Fraudy. Handshake emoji. (laughs) 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 Oh, what have I done? What have I done? What have I spoken into existence? I don't think you're going to be getting many 90-year-olds in your DMs, Matt, so don't worry about it. (laughs) Maybe. No more than usual, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And on the the subject of fraud, let's uh, let's wrap up today with a uh, a question from David Aswell. I'm not saying David's a fraud, by the way. That was... uh, (laughs) <laughs> that was not my intention at all. Uh, he, he says, uh, he's written on the emails. Uh, reminder, you can get in touch by emailing the podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, he says, could you make a case for the very elite players whose personal profile eclipses their team actually hindering sustained sporting success? Uh, on the podcast recently, there was mention of City being a slightly worse team over a long period of time if Haaland is playing. You look at Juve, who broke the bank to sign Cristiano and after his three-year stint are still unable to be a title contender in a league they almost won with their eyes closed. Messi as well uh, hamstrung Barcelona with his mammoth wages that had them unable to build a truly competitive team around him. PSG haven't been able to win the Champions League since they signed Neymar in 2017. Uh, Manchester United are now looking better after Cristiano Ronaldo has left. So are we in the age of the, the uh, I don't know, non-superstars where teams should be perhaps greater than the sum of their parts, Matt, and not have these uh, 
be be beholden to these big players anymore? Uh, no. Oh, what a load of nonsense. <laughs> oh, I completely disagree. Really? Well, yeah. I, I just, but th- these are the stars who took him to it in the first no, place. No, I, I think if you look at the successful teams now play a cohesive style of football that is totally antithetical to like having a main superstar. I think the, the reason PSG have signed Mbappe, Neymar, is to sell shirts and get Instagram followers and become brands. But I think I think it's you can't disagree really that they've on the pitch, certainly at the absolute elite level, you, you can't carry players like that. You just can't. If they're superstars like Messi and they can be part of that team, they can be part of that collective, then yeah, absolutely fine. But I think look at someone like yeah, Juventus with Ronaldo, Man United with Ronaldo recently, yeah, PSG with Neymar. I just think at the absolute elite level, you every eleven, all of the eleven players have to be in the system and play for the team. Otherwise, yeah, you'll get picked apart. So yeah, I I agree with but, whoever the emailer was there. But they're the ones who brought. Like I'm just sort of picking apart the email here. City, but Erling Haaland's come in and done his job, and they've been brilliant. And it's probably down to Arsenal being even better. Yeah, no, City I haven't run away with the league. Ronaldo won Juventus a couple of titles. Messi was instrumental to Barcelona's success. It's probably a bit of um, cons- uh, not really consequence, but just a, a coincidence. I think. I think anyway. Uh, we'll have to agree to disagree there, Matt. Or I can fight yeah. you in the office next week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have a bit of what about next time you're in. Uh, yeah i have uh, i have nothing else to add to that but uh yeah if anybody listening wants to chip in on that debate then uh remember the email address is podcast at onefootball.com uh, that's about all we've got time for today uh i do have to sign off on some very very devastating news for our listeners though i'm sure uh is that i'm going to be on holiday for three weeks after today so you're not going to hear me on the podcast for a little while um please you know, don't cry too much. Um, I will be back uh, <laughs> later in February, but and you will be in safe hands with Matt and our uh, panel of esteemed guests. Uh, Matt will be back early next week to uh, run the rule over the weekend's action and all that jazz. I assume, Matt. Uh, yeah, we'll do. I was going to say, does that mean we'll succeed without our superstar? <laughs> well, there we go. The proof will be in the pudding. <laughs> and yeah, I'll be, I'll be listening in from uh, a beach somewhere far, far away. So uh, yeah, do be proud, boys.